everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazor. And welcome to, after a bye week, which, you know, we it's kind of weird, you know, coming off of a bye week where we didn't have to, didn't record a preview. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a little strange it kind of throws off the routine but really happy to be back into it it's nice and relaxing to have a weekend where k-state doesn't play mm-hmm. uh but it just leaves me wishing that they had played yeah exactly but now we're talking about a game that will be under the friday night lights against oklahoma state and we're just gonna dive straight into it connor you have the offensive stats from last year i should say yeah. So last year overall, Oklahoma State they went seven and six, four and five in conference. Uh, despite that record, they were at one point a top ten team. At uh, one point, they were like six and one, uh, and they had a huge one over Texas. And then we kind of destroyed them, and the rest of the season was history for them. Uh, and uh, but otherwise, rushing yards they. Didn't have a potent rushing attack last year. 1,633 rushing yards at just 3.3 yards per attempt. And 20 rushing touchdowns. And then passing, they had 3,634 yards. uh, Just under 7 yards per attempt. uh, Completed 55.7% of their passes. Then had 24 touchdowns to 18 picks. Uh, They had a third down percentage of 35.29. Not fantastic. And then their red zone scoring percentage was 88.5, and their touchdown percentage was 57.7, so pretty bad there. Uh, They allowed 27 sacks, averaged 30.62 points per game, and had 398 total points on the year. Yeah, so they're... I'm going to tell you right now, their offense is pretty much the same as it was last year, at least schematically, where they're going to want to do a lot of those passing games, a lot of RPO kind of stuff. But in terms of defense, they took a step back last year from a few years ago where they were a top like, five defense in the country uh, under Jim Knowles. But last season, they allowed 28.92 points per game, 376 total points against, allowed 3,350 uh, 3, <laughs> passing yards, 24 passing touchdowns, 2,314 rushing yards for 23 touchdowns, a red zone scoring percentage of 86.9, and a touchdown percentage of 58.7. 13 picks, 13 fumbles forced, 26 sacks, but a turnover differential of minus 4. So, giving up a lot of yards, but at least being able, in a general sense, keep them out of the end zone whenever they got into the red zone. Some might call this the famous bend-don't-break defense. <laughs> But, Connor, who are they returning slash adding from this year? And uh, funnily enough, only like two or three of these are relevant now. Yeah, so they returned Brennan Presley, who is their leading receiver. He's still been pretty solid this year, but definitely not up to his standards that he set in the past. Uh, Blaine Green was their second leading receiver. And they have him returning. He's been kind of a non-factor so far. Uh, They added Dalton Cooper. Uh, as a transfer tackle from Texas State, and he is not really playing, uh, or at least he, he is playing, uh, but he just hasn't been as big of a factor as you would think. Uh, of course, the big ad uh, that everybody knows of is Alan Bowman, uh, quarterback formerly of Texas Tech, uh, most recently back up in Michigan. 
Uh, I'll leave it at that for now. And then Arlen Bruce, the fourth, who transferred in from Iowa but has not played because of his involvement with the uh, sports betting uh, scandal up in the state of Iowa. Uh, and then Colin Oliver, their defensive end slash linebacker, uh, definitely their best defender, probably a future NFL guy. Uh, he's still Colin Oliver, uh, still doing Colin Oliver things, but there's only so much that one guy can do. Yeah. And then you get to their losses and the mass exodus from Oklahoma State that is this list. They're losing one of their defensive ends, who is a fourth-rounder to the Jaguars, Tyler Lacey, losing probably their best defensive back from last year, Jason Taylor, is a seventh-rounder to the Rams, losing their longtime starting quarterback, Spencer Sanders, who transferred to Ole Miss and then lost the job to Jackson Dart. John Paul Richardson, their receiver, transferred to TCU. Steven Johnson, another big part of their receiving game, transferred to Houston. Trace Ford, who is their best defensive end last year, transferred to Oklahoma. Ouch. Mason Cobb, their best linebacker outside of Colin Oliver, transferred to USC. Jabbar Muhammad, a corner, transferred to Washington. And then Dominic Richardson, their, I believe their leading rusher last year, or among the, the contentions for being such, transferred to Baylor. That is a lot of production <laughs> that they lost from last year. And uh, I don't want to say it shows, but... Uh... <laughs> it's not great. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I did forget uh, one edition. Um, and luckily, I listened to Cocaine Willie, so I remembered who this was at the last second. But uh, Justin Kirkland, oh, yeah. a former K-State transfer portal target, uh, who has been kind of eh. Uh, at Oklahoma State so far this year, just three tackles in four games, uh, and he's generally been kind of fine uh, for Oklahoma State. Uh, so I guess you throw him in the category notable ads. Uh, he hasn't been a net negative, it seems like, <laughs> uh, but that was just another name, mainly just because of the K- uh, K-State connection. Yeah. But taking a look at the schedule, Oklahoma State right now is 2-2, two and two, and Connor just... This is a very weird schedule to just look at and see how it's panned out so far. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to be dismayed about if you're an Oklahoma State fan, although there was that brief glimmer of hope in Week 2 where they went on the road and beat Arizona State. Uh, although Week 1, they win unconvincingly against Central Arkansas 27-13. to Week two, they beat Arizona State on the road, like I just said, 27-15. to 15. Uh, Ever since then, it's been pretty bad. Uh, the week following that road win, they come back to Boone Pickens and lose to South Alabama 33-7 to at home. That That's an all-timer right there, I think, for Mike Gundy. They've had some pretty soul-crushing home non-conference losses before. And then they went on the road to Iowa State, uh, and they lost that game 34-27. to So they scored 27 points three times this year, which doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's just kind of unlikely, like I guess. a weird coincidence. Yeah, but they went on the road, did not play great for most of the game against Iowa State. Uh, at least in the parts that we watched, they did not look very good. No. No. And I'll take the current stats to this year all the way up to their defensive third downs. Like as we said, they're a 2-2 two two team, 0-1 in conference, only have 487 rushing yards, 4.2 per attempt, 887 passing yards, 5.4 per attempt. 
Uh, five passing touchdowns to four picks, five rushing touchdowns, and a offensive third down percentage of 36.51, which is just kind of okay. <laughs> but you have the second half here. Yeah. Uh, defensively, their third down conversion percentage allowed is just a hair under 40%, uh, so not awful. Uh, then their yards per play on defense, uh, they're giving up uh, 5.4 uh, per play. It's 57th in the nation, so fairly average. Um, 22 points per game is what they're giving up, uh, 88 total. Uh, Flip that. That's oh, what they're pardon me. Um, 22 points per game for the offense, 88 total points for them. They're giving up 23.75 uh, points per game. Uh, their turnover differential is minus three right now. Uh, they've uh, gotten 10 sacks. Yeah, that's gotten. Uh, and then in the red zone, um, on defense, they've allowed scores six out of seven times and touchdowns five out of seven times. Uh, but then on the flip side, on offense, they're scoring 11 out of 11 times uh, when they've made it into the red zone. Uh, and nine out of 11 of those have been touchdowns. So if they can actually move the ball, they they can actually be effective as an offense. See, that's the question. <laughs> the issue is getting to the red zone. Yeah, which we'll go over that in the scouting report. But before then, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. And we are back on the Aggieville Alleycats, giving you the scouting report going up against the Oklahoma State Cowboys down in Stillwater, which is always a scary place. But I'll start you off just by talking about broad strokes about what you're going to see on this offense. Uh, it's still a Mike Gundy offense, and if you have been watching Oklahoma State since like 2012, you have seen this exact same offense for several years at this point. It's pistol spread with some decently wide splits. It's kind of similar to what Clemson ran for a long time with a Sean Watson and Trevor Lawrence. But a lot of zone running, a lot of RPOs, it's still the same offense. The run pass split is 41 to 59 in favor of the pass. But despite this number, and very interestingly despite this number, it is abundantly clear that of the three quarterbacks that Mike Gundy has deployed this year, he trusts exactly zero of them, which is sort of remarkable when you think about it. But he still employs the same mesh and go-outs concepts we've seen plenty of times this year, implements a few curl-flats concepts as well, and because it's a pistol offense in the year of our Lord 2023, you know it has the Shanahan boot play. And if you don't know what the Shanahan boot play is, yes you do. If you've watched football, you know what the Shanahan boot play is. But other than that, you know, play action 51.3% of the time, screens 12.1% of the time, a lot of zone running, a lot of motion. Yeah, it's a Gundy offense, but Connor, I know you've absolutely just been, you've just been itching to talk about their quarterback in a quarterback transfer, Alan Bowman. So the floor is yours, my friend. Well, thanks, I guess. Uh, yeah, Alan Bowman, he's the, the guy I remember back in last winter when it was thought for a while they were going to have Brennan Armstrong, who I'm not sure how much of an upgrade that would have been, but it probably would have been at least over Alan Bowman. Uh, K-State fans are familiar with Alan Bowman. We've seen him before. Uh, if uh, you can recall, I think we saw him in uh, 2020. I think, as well as 19. 
Uh, don't think we saw him in 18, but uh, we, we've, we've seen some Alan Bowman before. He spent the last two years at Michigan, didn't really play a whole lot. He was just a backup. And then he's returned to the Big 12 now. He's at Oklahoma State. And he's pretty much the exact same quarterback, arguably worse. And a lot of that may have to do with Oklahoma State rather than him in terms of being worse. Yeah. Uh, but he's still not a fantastic quarterback. Uh, there's not a ton to really sit here and just absolutely love about Alan Bowman. He's not a particularly accurate quarterback. He's definitely injury prone. <laughs> um, he's he's just average, probably below average. He's mid. That, that's the best way to describe him. His arm strength is fine, below passable, but... It's whatever. Uh, his he's not a very quick processor, and when he does process, there's not a great chance he's right. So he is not mobile. Um, he can occasionally make a QB run work. That does not mean that he is mobile. There there is a difference, and he's definitely not a dual threat. Uh, but he'll run if he has to. Um, he's pretty good in the pocket, um, but some of that is that he senses pressure and he'll get out pretty quick. Uh, so he has kind of adjusted to um, the offensive line that he has this year. Um, he's mostly average. There's not really one thing that you can point at and say, wow, Alan Bowman is really bad at X. Other than maybe his aggression, he's he has a tendency to cash checks his arms can't make. Yeah, that doesn't shock me. But <laughs> he's a uh, yeah he's just he's pretty much below average at everything. He's not egregiously terrible at one single thing, but being below average at everything kind of makes you egregiously terrible <laughs> yeah. uh, in Power Five football. And uh, PFF kind of agrees. Yeah, his PFF grades are not great. He's had one good game in terms of grades, and that was against South Alabama, which is really strange that he ended up with such a good game, uh, at least according to PFF, against them because he went uh, 6 of 12 for 42 yards and a pick with a QBR of 1.9. So I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure I agree. Yeah, <laughs> don't, don't think I agree with PFF's uh, 70.5 grade that they gave him there. Yeah, I don't um, either. But he's... He's not great. His game against Iowa State, he had a 46 overall grade. He's only surpassed the average mark, which is 60 twice this year, and that's the aberration that was South Alabama and then the Central Arkansas game where he was just okay. There's there's not a lot there's not a lot to like about him uh, as a QB. Um, he pretty much progressively gets less accurate as he goes downfield. They don't throw the ball deep with him very much. Um, he has a couple of touchdowns going deep. But he's only a three of eleven uh, going deep. He's had two turnover-worthy throws as well. So uh, he has had three big-time throws, which would be his completions, and <laughs> uh, then uh, his uh, turnover-worthy plays. A uh, pretty high percentage uh, when he goes downfield, which makes sense. They've only gone downfield eleven times uh, with him all year. Um, he's not really fantastic in any area of the field. He's fine and behind the line of scrimmage in short range. His intermediate is below average, and his deep ball is just not good. 
So hopefully we can take solace in that. But um, there's one thing that he is. He's a um, over-the-middle merchant, especially in short, which kind of goes to their scheme. They, they run a lot of mesh. Uh, he's 21 to 23, uh, short center. Uh, but he he doesn't really do anything. If, if nothing really happens with that. Like uh, he's twenty one to twenty three for one sixty eight over the middle, but no touchdowns, uh, no big time throws, nothing like that. He he's a very play it safe quarterback in that sense. But when he does take risks, which he does more than you would think, they're just horrible. <laughs> he. The, before we move on, I just want to point out that his adjusted completion percentage uh, in medium is 50%, which is god-awful, and then his adjusted completion percentage on deep balls is 27.3%. Mega stinky. <laughs> yeah. He just doesn't have the arm talent to really get it anywhere further than 5 to 10 yards with uh, any sort of uh, consistency, uh, which... I mean, it's pretty evident uh, if you just look at his uh, um, passing chart. Um, he loves behind the line of scrimmage between the numbers. Uh, he really loves short uh, between zero and nine yards. But once you get to 10 plus yards, he is horrid. The lone exception is outside left, and it's because he has one attempt, and it was a touchdown. So uh, he... Is anytime he's throwing beyond the sticks, you just if you're Oklahoma, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, you're you're probably uh, clutching your pearls. Yeah, you're, uh, you're probably not particularly yeah. happy with the given yeah. scenario. In that sense, he's kind of like a worse Jarrett Dakey, yeah. that he can't throw beyond the sticks and cannot make anything happen. Dakey could at least make some things happen. He was distributing the ball effectively. But, he was a good point guard. Yeah, he, he was a fine point guard. He, not, he wasn't a great QB. I wouldn't have wanted him as my QB. But, like, he was just fine. But Alan Bowman is just not that guy uh, at all. This will probably be the worst quarterback we face all year. I'm trying to come up with another example. I don't think we... Eh, Iowa State backed. Yeah, but... Um, well, at least Becht has like some degree yeah. of talent and an excuse. Yeah, yeah. Becht did outperform uh, Alan Bowman in their head-to-head, which I know doesn't have anything to do with either <laughs> of them. But uh, Becht has at times shown an ability to throw a ball deep and not have it be picked. And <laughs> Bowman just doesn't have any level of comfort at all. He, I think he knows the situation he's in. I think he's really regretting ending up at Oklahoma State probably. Uh, yeah, we, we, we've said plenty about Alan Bowman. He's, if he has a career day against us, I will be ready to burn it down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's just, yeah, no. Now we'll talk a little bit about Ollie Gordon. The second number zero is their starting running back. Number one thing with him, really good acceleration. Not a lot in terms of jump putt and jump cuts on the line. He's more of a bendy runner. Like he's not going to make you miss in a phone booth, but he is going to sort of manipulate you and try to, to gaslight you into bad angles. Um, he does play really low, though, despite the fact he's 6'1", and he can bowl through you by lowering his head. And yes, I do mean his head. 
Uh, his biggest downfall is speed. He's just not the fastest guy in the world. He can get run down by linebackers even after creating bad angles, but he is really good at creating bad angles, though. So. Uh, with good contact balance, despite his tendency to try and headbutt people and decent enough receiver. Um, yeah, I... PFF agrees that he's a generally solid player. 70 PFF grade, which is above average. Uh, a lot of where he's running, though, is... Well, honestly, he runs just about anywhere. But he is more of that inside guy. A lot of that inside zone stuff, which his vision is fine enough for. And he still has the ability to bounce it. He's not a amazing back, but he's definitely one that you have to keep an eye out for. Because he's far from the worst back that we will or have seen this year. Ollie Gordon's actually, I think, quite good. I think he's quite underrated, especially under PFF. But it's just kind of everything around him sucks. So he just isn't going to get that credit. But, you know, he's averaging a few, like quite, I think it's what, 6.2? Yeah. Thereabouts. But a lot of that was one big run. But he's also not going to be the type of back to lose you a bunch of yards. So, yeah, I I think he's a quite good back. He's someone that you definitely have to watch out for, especially if like, you're like climbing. You said you want to control the line of scrimmage. But, Connor, here you are again talking about the passing game and the, the receivers that are in hell right now. <laughs> yeah, I would really hate to be a wide receiver at Oklahoma State uh, this season. There's, there's not a lot to be happy about, honestly. Uh, but they do have a leading receiver uh, in Jaden Bray, a younger guy. Um, they plucked him out of Norman, six foot two, two hundred pounds, a solid enough player. Uh, he's got eighteen catches on the year for two hundred and fifteen yards. Doesn't have a touchdown quite yet. Uh, but Bray, um, he's pretty good at breaking the press on the outside, um, and he has enough speed to go deep. There's no way to get him the ball, but he can go deep, um, and. While he does have have a lot of athletic talent, his route tree is pretty limited right now. He's mostly doing uh, either uh, go routes or curls. Uh, his curl's pretty good, and he works his way back to the ball effectively uh, to help uh, get the ball to him. He doesn't sit and wait and potentially let a DB pick it off. Uh, he's he's a fine player. Uh, he is someone that I guess could burn us deep. I don't anticipate that becoming a major issue though uh unless alan bowman got is visited by three yeah. spirits yeah unless alan bowman got like a new shoulder or something <laughs> this uh uh <laughs> recently but yeah Jaden brace fine uh not not the worst player at all um but he hasn't really had a breakout year yet yeah he also was pretty good at uh limiting drops only having two drops on the year on his targets and, you know, over the middle, of course, is where he's... Well, not over the middle, but in the intermediate game is where he's going to make a lot of his money, so to speak. He's graded exceptionally well uh, everywhere you look in terms of his actual receiving. And then you look at his PFF grade and realize that he plays for Oklahoma State and it's a 68. But, <laughs> yeah, Jaden Bray's good. Um, the, I'm going to go ahead and spoil this right now. The receiver room is the best room for the entire offense. Uh, sorry to take that from you. But no, it's okay. I mean, there's a lot of good athletes in this group. There's just not really a way to consistently get them the ball. Yeah, get them the ball. So, 
Um, speaking of uh, good receivers who probably aren't getting the ball as much as they should, uh, that's next up we have Brennan Presley. Um, probably a familiar name for K-State fans. He's been around the block uh, for Oklahoma State. He played a lot uh, the last two seasons, over 600 snaps in 21 and 22. Uh, and last year, Oklahoma State was definitely trying to force feed him uh, when we faced uh, um, Oklahoma State in Manhattan. Uh, it's just he wasn't super effective. This year, uh, it definitely seems like they're trying to force feed him again, but the, it's Blood. just not working. <laughs> uh, 15 catches for 98 yards. Uh, does have two touchdowns. Um, does have one rush for five yards. He's averaging 6.5 yards per catch. So to me what that says is that he's getting a lot of uh, short stuff, and they're trying to get blockers out in front of him so he can take uh, an easy pitch and catch from Alan Bowman and go run all over the field because uh, Brennan Presley is super athletic, is really good at making people miss, uh, and should be a great offensive weapon. Uh, but the issue is that not only are they struggling to get the ball to him from the quarterback, they're struggling to really block for him in those situations. So there's not a lot is working well right now for Brennan Presley. Yeah, a lot of his skill set actually is kind of surprising in that he's not to steal the thunder, but he's a weirdly good contested catch receiver at his size, which he's only 5'8", but like he should not have the skill set that he does, and he also should not be getting screwed over as bad as he is in this offense. Yeah, he deserves better than what he's getting right now at Oklahoma State. But yeah, he's a good all-around option. Uh, he's got a good route tree, uh, and he's not limited to the inside or the outside uh, whatsoever. Which, again, if you look at his uh, um, a target chart, he's had exactly two targets uh, beyond 10 yards this year. Uh, nine of his uh, 15, perchance? 15. 15 uh, receptions, or targets, that is. Eight of his receptions have been between the numbers uh, inside of 10 yards, uh, most of the attempts in his direction have been in between the numbers. And that <laughs> they're not getting him the ball outside the numbers. They're trying to get him the middle of the field so he can try and work. It's not working. I hope they continue to do this because <laughs> clearly it is not working. Uh, the only area of the field where he has an above average BFF grade um, as a receiver is in the short center. Uh, which he's got a pretty good grade there. He's got a 77, but it's just not enough. They're not giving him enough diverse options. I mean, if you look at his, again, his target chart, uh, nine targets, short center, four short left, every single other area of the field is either one or zero. So Brennan Presley does not have a Brennan Presley problem. He has an Alan Bowman problem. Yeah, and uh, he also has no drops on the year, by the way. Yeah, he's super reliable. He's really, really good. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, here's a here's a fun little stat for you. His reception percentage on throws short left is 25%. He has not dropped a pass. <laughs> oh, that should tell you everything you need to know. But now we're going to move on to the final one who is a uh, Washington State transfer. Uh, yeah, he is. Uh, Dijon Stribling, uh, another kind of bigger receiver. Um, Oklahoma State, I feel like historically, has always had like a pretty 
similar receiver core in terms of size over the years where they have like two larger guys and they have this uh, smaller annoying person <laughs> uh, like Brennan Presley. But the Jean Stribling uh, coming off of two solid enough years at Washington State. And he's been pretty good for Oklahoma State this year as well. Um, he's um, got just under 200 yards on the year, 14 catches. He's got a touchdown as well. Um, all around, he's been a fairly solid option for them. Um, he did not play for them against South Alabama. I do not know why. He may have been injured. Um, but every game he's played, he's had more than 60 yards, or at least 60 yards receiving. So he's a solid enough player. Um, or I guess I shouldn't say he didn't play in South Alabama, but he only had five snaps. So yeah, imagine he may have gotten injured early. Um, but his receiving grades are pretty fantastic. Uh, behind the line, he's got 85 and a half. Uh, in the short game, he's got 91. In intermediate, he's got 80. And in deep, he's got 85. Uh, all that's PFF grades. He's genuinely quite good. Also no drops. Yeah, doesn't have a single drop. He's a good receiver. I don't know why he went to Oklahoma State if he wanted to be a good receiver. but Which, again, I I don't hate Oklahoma State. but I quite like them, actually. Yeah, I like him a lot. But I'm sad. <laughs> Alan Bowman is not the guy. Um, they... Which I always forget. They do have Zane Flores, former K-State quarterback, uh, target, who I actually liked a lot. Yeah. They might be better off just like trying or <laughs> <laughs> that or just throwing the season. But just throw Gunner in. Um, but Stribling's pretty good player. Um, he's got a good tracking ability on the ball. Um, but again, he is a larger guy, so his speed is incredible. He's not. Like one of the four and five star guys that are going to be like six four two hundred and run one like a four four. <laughs> because if if he was, he would be on Ohio State or Alabama. Uh, the those guys get sniped pretty quickly because they're unicorns. Uh, he is generally going to be overthrown. Go figure. It truly isn't shocking. Not uh, and his separation ability, um, despite his speed, is pretty good. Um, he's just not getting the ball when he gets vertical. So this is someone that we will have to actually keep an eye on if Alan Bowman has a lucky night and finally is able to connect and kind of regress to the mean a little bit. Um, then this is someone that could burn us over the top. I, I think we're going to need Will Lee um, to really lock him down. Uh, I, I think that he probably matches up with him the best in terms of size. But um, Stripling, genuinely good player. Just not getting as many opportunities as he should. Uh and he's mostly, again, being utilized in the short center uh, because mesh forever. Yeah, mesh forever. And then I'll let you cover the tight end fullback. It, it's an H-back. Yeah. They have Josiah Johnson uh, as their H-back, number 16. Uh, he's 6'5", 235. Uh, he's a battering ram on running plays. Uh, he's disciplined, though, uh, so he's not going to whiff often. Which I know K-State fans have been kind of disappointed with tight end blocking this he's year. He's also a transfer from yeah. UMass. Yeah, he's a pretty good tight end. Yeah, and he is a transfer from UMass, which is kind of strange. Because <laughs> um, uh, uh, now he's in his sixth year, so he's in his um, COVID season after redshirting as well. Played five years at UMass, probably won five games. And mm, That's generous. And uh, he is now at Oklahoma State. He's fine. He's solid. He has five catches for 35 yards so far this year. Um, he is someone that we can't not account for in the passing game, but he's definitely not a threat, if that makes sense. Like, if we leave him wide open, he he will make a catch. 
and it will cost us. Uh, so we have to keep tabs on him. He's just not going to be the main guy. Yeah, no, he's not. Now I get to talk about my favorite, the offensive line. Starting with the Texas State transfer, Dalton Cooper, number 71. Uh, I don't know which side he'll be playing this next game. Great start to the analysis. <laughs> uh, played the first three games at right tackle, then he shifted to left tackle for the Iowa State game. He didn't play very well at left tackle. Uh, he just doesn't deal with power well and can get blown back to break seal on a run. But despite this, his best trait is his agility and his ability to seal on, on running plays. Uh, he's also recorded at least one penalty in every game except for one, which was the Iowa State game. But he just doesn't have the traditional skill set of a left tackle. He doesn't have that anchor blindside tackle you know, persona that you really like. But he's still not a bad player. He has a 66.9 PFF grade, 58.3 run uh, pass block, 72.3 in the run block game. So he's he's a big dude who is 6'7", 3'11", which sounds like a lot because it is. But it's also like kind of, I'm not going to say wiry, but it's a little slight for the 6'7 frame. But he's a fine tackle who in a perfect world wouldn't be playing left tackle. He'd be playing right tackle. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> but then we have Jason Brooks Jr. He is a former transfer from Vanderbilt. We saw him last year as a 55.7 offensive grade, 61.7 pass block, and then a 55.6 run blocking grade. His biggest problem is he just tries to move himself too quickly. like, And he's trying to leave assignments early, and he's trying to move way faster than his body will simply allow him to. Because of this, he has a tendency to trip. And yes, it happens about once or twice a game. And it's always funny. Uh, he also doesn't get square to linebackers because he's trying to predict rather than react. And either that or he's reacting really slowly, which I doubt given how quickly he's trying to play himself. And despite him only having two penalties on the year, he's the grabby one. Every line has one. And we're just going to start pointing them out every time we see them now. Jason Brooks is the grabby one. Uh, he will try to work in a few bear hugs whenever he thinks he can get away with it or he thinks he's getting beat, but that's most guards. But Jason Brooks is definitely the grabby one. And then I'll get the center, and then, Connor, you can move on to the right side of the line. Uh, the center is Joe Machowski, who's been there for a few years, 65 PFF grade, 77.1 pass block, 58 the run blocking game. Uh, his biggest thing is he's inconsistent both in just in most aspects of his game. Uh, especially with his snaps, weirdly enough. He has like three or four snaps a game where the ball placement is just off. Typically, it's high. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up, you know, just getting unlucky and finally launching one because I think I believe the majority of them have been caught this year. But he... <laughs> I'm waiting for the one that doesn't. <laughs> but he's just kind of inconsistent in all aspects of his game. I don't necessarily agree with 77 being his pass block grade. I don't think he necessarily has the greatest strength. I still think he's kind of getting deposited in laps a few more times than you'd think. But he's not a bad center. He's probably their best offensive lineman, though that is a, uh, well, it's a dubious honor. <laughs> 
But, Connor, you have the right side of the offensive line. Yeah. One more note on uh, Joe is he's a uh, Kansas native. He's from Kansas City, Kansas. Oh. Yeah. So, nice. don't know what high school he went to, but I remember him uh, back when K-State was recruiting him. <clears throat> uh, so, but he ends up at Oklahoma State. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Kansas native. Then we have, uh, after him, we have Preston Wilson, uh, number 74, um, his um, grades, he's been playing significant snaps for Oklahoma State starter snaps uh, since 2020. Uh, so four-year starter, it's looking like. Uh, pass blocking, a uh, very good grade there, 84.7. Uh, his run block, not so great. In terms of grades, 56.1. Uh, but for Wilson, um, he has a bad habit of reaching way too far whenever he starts blocking. Um, and then he also, it, it takes away a lot of his punch uh, because he's extending way too far uh, and leaning forward too quickly. He's throwing off his center of gravity. He doesn't have as much power uh, behind um, his arms and it's leaving him off balance. So do, which, yeah, doing that is a recipe for disaster if you're a guard. Which also may be why his pass blocking grades are pretty good because he doesn't, you don't necessarily have to have that problem. You can kind of let it come to you whenever you're in pass sets, but Connor, you get the uh, the gift of talking about Cole Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, so uh, right tackle, um, at least now at right tackle, Cole Birmingham, he started the year as the left tackle. He had one performance in particular as left tackle in the pass block game uh, that I think warrants a specific mention uh, because it falls probably into our Hall of Shame for previews. Uh, and that's against South Alabama. He had a whopping on 31 pass block snaps, a 9.9 grade uh, in pass block. One of few, if any, single digit grades that we've seen, I think. I'm sure we've seen one before. We saw one earlier this year. It was the Troy left guard. That's right. That's right. So, elite company. Yeah. For, definitely. And. <laughs> Uh, but Birmingham, he played over a thousand snaps last last year and graded above average. Two years ago. Uh, two years ago, excuse me. He did not play last year. Uh, didn't catch that. So uh, this year he's taken a significant step back, uh, grading well below average, especially in the pass block. Uh, his pass block on the season is a forty-one point one, uh, pretty terrible, uh, honestly. But. Um, as a tackle, he has a very wide base and pass protection, which is bad. And <laughs> um, if you run into his face, you could probably just knock him over um, just because of how wide that base is. He's not anchored into the ground. And again, it's another balance issue. Uh, he is already um, giving up the advantage in that department. That's like Lyman 101. <laughs> and uh, he, it also... Uh, his base being too wide, it hurts his ability to counter if an edge player fakes a move one way uh, or just goes the opposite way that he initially guesses. His lateral agility is not there. He gets worked around pretty easily. There's not a lot about Cole Birmingham based off that description that really screams tackle. <laughs> and He's not doing really impressive things at all. Uh, for Oklahoma State and an offensive line that this year has been struggling already as a unit uh, he is one of the worst if not the worst parts uh, maybe a move to right tackle will rejuvenate him 
We'll see. <laughs> now we can talk about their defense. Of course, for personnel, they play the variation of a 3-3-5, three-high safety defense. Sometimes they even play what looks like four-high with an additional cornerback, which Connor knows how I feel. Not only about three, like the 3-3-5, the three-high safety defense, you can only imagine how I feel about that particularly defensive look. It's nasty. I don't like it. It's gross. It's stinky. It's icky, and I don't like it. Um, they do play a more balanced front than we're used to playing. They have a nose tackle and typically two five techniques. Even we've sort of shifted away with walk-ups and tight fronts, but it's just showing that Gundy's a little bit stubborn because he does occasionally walk up. It's Colin Oliver. He almost he if he's gonna walk someone up, he's gonna walk up Colin Oliver because he used to be a defensive end. But you know they just don't have that much variation to their fronts. You either have the three man surface or three man surface plus Colin Oliver lined up at the edge. Um, big fan of blitzing though. Their ability to hide it has gotten a lot worse since Jim Knowles left. Who would have guessed? They also tend to slant their lines a lot, both in the running and the passing game. This just kind of negates their defensive line to just large human beings who eat space rather than big-time factors. And this means that a lot of the onus to make plays is on the linebackers. And uh, in terms of coverages, they prefer to sit down, play man coverage if they can afford to, especially if they're blitzing. But outside of that, it's a lot of quarters. Again, I've made my opinions well known on this. Uh, a lot of their coverages can be read almost immediately just by reading the leverage of the backside passing strength, which is the side with less receivers. Uh, if, they prior, if they're playing outside leverage, they're probably playing quarters. And if they're playing head up, it's almost certainly man coverage. And they're not even going to bother like trying to hide this fact. But Connor, you have the interior defensive lineman, including a former K-State target. Yeah, uh, name that we mentioned earlier is uh, Justin Kirkland. Uh, he does grade pretty well this year. Uh, his defensive grade overall is a 77. His run defense is an 82. Uh, his tackle grades a 77. Uh, his pass rush is just average. Uh, only had a two pressures on the year. Granted, he's a no, so that's not always his uh, major uh, uh, goal. Um, as a defender um, but all in all he's not in terms of at least from what I've heard from Oklahoma State fans he's not really lived up to the expectations they had uh, for him coming into the year I think they had really high hopes for him uh, um, uh, Philip Slavin on Cocaine Willie uh, talked about how in the offseason coaches were raving about uh Justin Kirkland is just absolutely dominant, and then it turned out that their centers just sucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, uh, well. <laughs> uh, so that, that is unfortunate. Uh, but Kirkland, he's not a particularly strong puncher at the line, um, but he is able to get good arm extension, and he can work a block uh, without exploding. And in most cases, though, he's a non-factor in the pass rush game. Uh, which, again, is reflected in his grades. Uh, he is ever so slightly above average at the point it's not even significant. Yeah, He's been a solid nose for them. He's a run defender first and foremost. He's a fairly sure tackler, but he hasn't quite been what uh, everybody was hoping for. This could potentially be good for us uh, since Aiden Gillum has really struggled with explosive 
nose tackles. That's just not Justin Kirkland's game for the most part. He does have a significant size advantage over Hayden Gillum. Uh, I think almost uh, 50 pounds, uh, maybe more. Uh, but it's gonna be that will likely be more of an issue in the run game uh, than in the pass game. Yeah. And the other guy. Yeah. Uh, next, we've got Colin Clay, uh, another nose tackle. Uh, he is a, a younger fella, or at the very least, hasn't really uh, um, logged any statistics as of yet uh, in, in the past. I mean, he's actually listed as a senior, um, but he's been a a fine member of this room. A uh, bit better of a pass rusher than Justin Kirkland is. Um, he um, has a 67.5 grade in the pass rush, another solid tackler. Uh, he's all in all a pretty well-rounded uh, defensive lineman. Uh, his first step and punch are really good, uh, which is the makings of a really good pass rusher, uh, but then he just kind of doesn't know how he got there and doesn't really have like a follow-up move, which is uh, the issue that's kind of preventing him from developing further. Uh, he has a tendency to either knock the person off balance or get knocked off balance himself. Uh, and he has a really high motor, uh, which is what you have to be in college if you don't have a good pass rush move. Uh, and uh, he doesn't have any really any moves outside of that initial punch. And uh, that, that's about as far as he can really go. Uh, he, if he doesn't knock you off balance with the first punch, then that's kind of it for him. He, yeah, he loses. He's going to try his best, though. Yeah, he, he'll try his best, but he will lose the rep. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, now we can move on to the edge players. Number 92, Nathan Latou, and number 94, Anthony Goodlow. Starting off with Latou, uh, he's been here for three years, really, really good amazing last year in limited snaps he's been okay this year a uh, total of 71.5 total defensive grades 60.6 run defense 63 tackling 80.2 in the pass rush uh he has some decent power even if his form is erratic he's a he's a power rusher through and through but uh he's also really funny to watch it which this makes it two uh, game weeks in a row where we have a really funny uh, pass rusher just based off of form because the UCF guy I forget his name uh, always came up and it looked like he was like forming like a fist in his hands right before he started the pass rush uh, Nathan Latu just looks like he's about to fall every time he starts his rush and he just starts flailing but somehow manages to drive back people considerably larger than him despite this fact which I, it, it's sort of an anomaly, and I don't understand how he does it, but it damn if it's not working for him. But yeah, he's really powerful guy. He can drive you back if you're not careful. And I think the fact that he's flailing may actually be a, a technique. It's a tech to a low people into a uh, false sense of security. But that's a lot too. And now Goodlow, he is a Tulsa transfer where he was amazing at Tulsa. And he's actually a He's actually doing pretty well here as well. 82.8 defensive grade, 83.7 run defense, 67.8 tackling, 70.8 in the pass rushing game. Uh, his biggest thing is he's good at flowing uh, with the play No matter whenever it's a run. He's actually pretty good at it as well in the passing game. He's just never going to work himself out of position whenever he's working to the inside or the opposite side of a run. He's also really good at understanding that he needs to attack half the man in pass rush. 
But his biggest problem is just hand usage. He just doesn't use them very well. He just doesn't use them very often, which I think is it's sad because he he's a good player. Like he is a generally really good player, but he just he's one step away from doing a lot of damage, which I don't I mean unless he starts using his hands this week, which I hope he doesn't. I hope he develops it the week after. Uh, he's someone that you have to look out for, but he's not a game wrecker. No, their game wreckers are all at linebacker. <laughs> yep. So, starting out with uh, Nicholas Martin, uh, number four. Uh, he, when blitzing, he has a <clears throat> really good amount of twitch and speed. He's very instinctual as a linebacker. Uh, and part of his instincts, uh, he does continuously look for interceptions. Uh, he um, will try and bait the pick a lot of times, which is kind of a defensive back trait, but um, despite being a linebacker, he still does it. Uh, and he's a, also a very solid tackler, despite being fairly undersized. He's six foot two fifteen, uh, which is normally what you would expect out of a linebacker. Uh, but he and Colin Oliver are definitely the standouts of the defense. Yeah, which is so. First off, Nicholas Martin has the size of a defensive back, a safety. He's six foot two fifteen, like you mentioned. Uh, PFF hates him for some reason. I I don't get it. I think he's really good. Uh, but of course, he does. He doesn't. He just doesn't match Colin Oliver. Yeah, but Colin Oliver, he's been good pretty much the entire time that he has been playing uh, at Oklahoma State. Uh, and uh, many times he's dominant. Uh, he's 6'2", 235. He was primarily an edge rusher, but now he's kind of moving out uh, a little bit more to linebacker. And uh, same as last year, he's the best player on their defense. Uh he has a lot of the same traits as Martin, but he has better instincts. He's faster. Uh, and he's incredible at blitzing uh, with his ability to read blocks and work around them. Uh, and he has uh, several pass rush moves uh, that he can use to work around the edge. He's a very good tackler. Uh, if a play is made on defense, it's likely going to be him or Nicholas Martin. Uh, and the... They're both just so, so good. But Colin Oliver in particular, uh, he is just incredible. He's draft eligible. I imagine that he will be drafted this year. He already has 16 tackles on the season. He has a sack, two forced fumbles as well, uh, two pass deflections, which is not what I generally think of him. Uh, I regularly think of Colin Oliver as a pass rusher first. Well, that's because he used to be a defensive end. Yes. <laughs> uh, but two pass deflections already this year for Colin Oliver. And that position moves probably good for him and his NFL prospects uh, since uh, given his size. Uh, he's not the uh, biggest guy of all time. You want to hear a K-State comp for him? Uh, yes. Toby Osinsami. I completely believe that. <laughs> Toby's a little taller, um, but Colin Oliver... Uh, probably more naturally gifted in terms of uh, um, actual uh, technique. Yeah, uh, definitely a little better there. Less ground to cover, but yeah, I, I like that comp. Yep. And then you have the last one, who's an interesting player. Yep. The last guy we have is Xavier Benson at linebacker. Uh, he um, began his career at Texas Tech, um, and played in 2018 and 2019 uh, and then uh, ended up making his way to Oklahoma State. Uh, he's not registered a statistic 
in with 2020 and 2021 without actually registering a stat, the transfer to Oklahoma State, and he's been there the last two seasons, played almost 900 snaps last year uh, as a linebacker, and he's already over 200 this year, uh, although he is kind of grading out his worst season of his career, um, at least according to PFF. Uh, but he's a similar size to Oliver, but definitely a different build, uh, 6'2", 224. Um, he will sprint to meet any blocks if he feels uh, the seal's about to be broken. Uh, he's very physical for a linebacker, which, again, is why he's going to walk up sometimes. But he is not very fast, uh, not very fast at all. When when you're racing against a former defensive end, that's not good. <laughs> you're the slowest linebacker. Um, he's definitely more of a sledgehammer and a guy to blow things up, uh, as opposed to guys like, uh, Oliver and, uh, uh, Nicholas Martin, who, uh, are going to be more precision. Uh, but Xavier Benson still does, um, bring a lot to the table, um, as a player. It's just that he's in terms of the linebackers, probably the, uh, lesser of the three. Uh, but a lot of that is just the inherent talent of Nicholas Martin, Colin Oliver. Yeah. The linebackers are by far the best room on the defense. But the corners, what we're going to talk about next, number two, Corey Black, and then number eight, DJ McKinney. Uh, starting with Corey Black, he's really good at getting hands on the receiver in press and staying in their face whenever he's actually playing man coverage. He also has pretty quick feet that can work in and out of his breaks pretty quickly. But outside of that, he's a plus athlete who's good in press. It's just a situation where he just seemingly hasn't put it all together yet. Um, he's been playing four years, which, no, I, I say playing. He's been starting in two. But this year, he only has a 67.1 PFF grade and a 72.2 coverage grade. So whenever he's asked to be in coverage, he's above average. There's just something that isn't quite clicking yet for him. Uh, or maybe it's just it's not clicking for me when I watch him play. Because he has the tools, he just seemingly hasn't put them all together to be like a true number one shutdown corner. Uh, his running mate on the opposite side of the field is DJ McKinney, at least in terms of pure snaps played. Um, he does get hands on, but he almost has to load his entire body to do so. And because of this, he doesn't have the uh, quickest hands in the world. And if you can find it, I promise you, it's it's worth finding. If you can find a clip of the Iowa State game and go to about 13 minutes left in the second quarter, um, he misses a jam and then falls directly on his face because he takes a second to load up. And before you ask... Yes, it did result in a touchdown <laughs> to his man. But uh, he's been grading out okay on PFF, 72.7 defensive grade, 76.1 in coverage. I don't agree. I think he is an okay corner. I don't think that this is a situation like last year where technically against TCU, where Travis Hodges Tomlinson was the technically the first corner, but Josh Newton was the better one. Um, I definitely think that Corey Black is the better of the two, and I just think McKinney is too slow in press, and just an all-in-all, just sort of okay corner. He doesn't have the same tools that Black does, though. And, Connor, I hate to give you uh, the room with a controversy, but (laughs) 
here's the safety room. <laughs> yeah. So three guys listed here: Kendall Daniels, uh, Lyric Rawls, and Trey Rucker. Uh, so generally speaking, the safeties are really, really, really bad at communicating. Uh, they do not know what the um, other one is doing on the other side of the field. Um, so if there's ever slight miscommunication, uh, there's a very good chance that there will be a coverage bust. Uh, and it literally, it generally uh, is going to result in broken coverage vertically. Uh, so they give up a lot of explosive touchdowns uh, this way. Uh, so we'll start with Kendall Daniels, number five. Uh, he's the leading tackler on this team right now. He's got 31. He has a sack. Uh, no pass breakups yet on the year. Former, uh, v- formerly a very highly regarded recruit back in the class of uh, uh, 2021. One of the highest rated recruits in Oklahoma State history. Uh, he was a top 50 recruit on 24-7. Uh, although uh, he's not been fantastic in his time at Oklahoma State. Uh, he's 6'4", 213, so he's got really great size for his safety, um, but he isn't always uh, living up to the hype. Uh, when he's asked to play center field, he will play pretty shallow. Um, he also tends to flip his hips way too late, which puts himself at a major disadvantage. Uh, when he's playing in the box, he's not much better. Uh he reads the play like a linebacker uh, as opposed to a safety, which uh, is... Given his size, yeah. makes sense. Yeah, he's line, he's pretty much linebacker size, <laughs> uh, but that's not what he should be doing uh, because he just ends up getting drawn into the play. He's more susceptible to play action than if he's going to be reading like a linebacker, and he needs to read it like a safety. Uh, that's not his job. Um, whenever he is in position, he can make good plays. It just depends on if he's going to find himself in position or not. Yeah, and that's like a 60-40 proposition. <laughs> yep. Uh, then after that, we have Lyric Rawls. Uh, Rawls, he is probably the most mistake-prone um, safety in this room. Uh, he um, generally just doesn't know what any other defensive back is doing. Um, and he will almost certainly blow up at least one or two coverage schemes per game. Uh, just really, really, really not great. Um, he's played a few different. He's been listed a few different safety spots this year, uh, playing both strong and free. Missed the Iowa State game. Yep, yeah, and did not play the Iowa State game, which maybe is addition by subtraction. Uh, but yeah, he's got um, uh, ten solo tackles so far this year. Uh, he's got an interception as well. He's got twenty total tackles. Uh, so he's been active on that uh, front at least, but coverage-wise, uh, leaving a lot to be desired. And then that takes us to the final uh, safety and uh, final player as well. Uh, that's Trey Rucker. Uh, he's a another senior, six foot two oh seven. Um, started his career at Wake Forest and then came to Oklahoma State. Um, had some good moments. Um, had a few good seasons. This year, though, at least according to PFF, he is having the worst of his career. Uh, 40.8 overall defensive grade, a 37.2 coverage grade, 46 tackle grade, 54 run defense grade. Uh, so all of his significant grades are below average uh, to very below average. Uh, so he's in a rough spot already um, on the field. But then off the field, he's in maybe even a 
worse spot. He's um, been arrested, I think, twice now. For DUI. Yeah, for DUI. So um, he's got a lot going on on that front. Uh, if he is playing, he's a very good communicator. Um, in a secondary that's not very good at communicating. Uh, but he's not going to fix any of the issues. I mean, if he's the only person that can communicate, then nobody can communicate. And uh, he is not, obviously, he's just not a good coverage guy. That's just not going to be what he's good at. He's had some good seasons tackling and playing run defense before. This hasn't been that year so far. Um, But he isn't super athletic. Uh, He's physically limited. He makes mistakes. Uh, Granted, some of that is because he plays uh, with two safeties who... Um, are anti-communicators and he, actively uh, giving each other the silence. <laughs> yeah, so he's he's in a tough spot as it is, but regardless, um, you, you got you got to kind of feel for the guy <laughs> being uh, thrust into such a tough spot as a safety. Uh, can't feel so bad for him off the field, I guess. You, no. you make bad choices, <laughs> um, but it's a uh, to to put it lightly, it's um, shaky. In the defensive backfield. It may be worse than last year. Yeah. It's already not good. And last year they were missing several players due to injury. This is kind of like their front line. Yeah, it's still bad. (laughs) But now we can get into the stories to talk about this game. Uh, First and foremost, how angry is Oklahoma State after last year's game? Because I would imagine the answer is very. I would imagine that they are pretty angry. Um, I don't know how much that will matter in this game. uh, But... If they care still about this season, they should be angry. Yeah. You got the next story. Yeah. Um, Can K-State avoid uh, the loss here? Because this could be considered a trap game. I would consider it a trap game because I don't think Oklahoma State is particularly good this year. And this isn't a case like two years ago where I didn't know if they were good or not when they ended up in the Big 12 championship. I verifiably can tell you that this is not a good football team. And there will be major alarm bells if this game is even close to me. Yeah. I, I, I get it's in Stillwater, but this is probably the worst Oklahoma State team that we have faced in decades. Yeah, I don't think it's close. Yeah. The only one that would even come remotely close is that 2018 Oklahoma State team with Taylor Cornelius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't know how we beat them in Bill's final year. And we not only beat them, but we won by like 25. <laughs> and uh, that was... I think I think we sandwiched that with awful losses, but uh, this is this is definitely one of the worst Oklahoma State teams we've seen in a while, at least on paper. Uh, which is exactly why you're right. We cannot allow this to be a loss or even a close game. Really, we we have no business really handing this game to them. I, I'd be I'd be very concerned if we lose this game or nearly lose it. Yeah. And uh, next question: Given the fact that the defensive back room is. Um lacking can will finally go a game without his vitamin interception i'll say sure i'll be nice to will here um fifth time is the charm i guess he's had a bye week to get healthy as well uh, this should in theory be the healthiest game that we play all season uh outside of me- no no you're right i was about to say outside of semo but yeah we, we saw some injuries going to that one True. so this this should be the healthiest game we play all year so Hopefully, this means that uh, Will will finally make it through a game unscathed. But we'll just have to wait and see. Yep. 
So next, is Jake Clifton back at full speed and starting? Well, listening to Kleiman's press conference makes it sound like he's not starting, despite the fact that I would I would like him to. But it sounds like he's going to be first off the bench for every single linebacker position, which makes me think that he's back to at least like 95% speed, which is critical given that Asa Newsom is now out for the year. Yeah, losing Asa for the year is super, super tough. Yep. Uh, next question. Does DJ capitalize on his monster performance the last time he was out? Um, I think he will as much as he can, uh, but Treshawn Ward is going to be back, and we are going to be seeing a lot of Treshawn Ward, I imagine. I imagine we start to see a larger share of carries go to DJ Giddens as he's the hot hand, mm-hmm. but he's still going to have to give some of those carries to Treshawn Ward, who's still a really, really talented running back. So I think we'll see him capitalize in terms of maybe efficiency, um, but it remains to be seen in terms of raw numbers. Yeah. And then uh, second to last, we have can Colin Klein scheme up plays against a secondary that has um, already had a lot of communication issues this year and will likely be down their most experienced leader? Well, apparently, according to Gundy, Rucker might be playing, <laughs> which... Okay, but I you would think so, given that he did the exact same thing with a better secondary last year. You would, I, I I think you're right. I think that's a good way to look at it. You would think so. There's no reason that he shouldn't be able to. Will he actually? That remains to be seen. But he should be able to um, handle uh, the secondary with ease. Yep. Finally, will the defensive back stay in phase with a talented receiving group, even if Bowman is generously uh, inconsistent at hitting those throws? Yeah. That's a toughie, isn't it? I'm going to say that this defensive back room is out to prove something right now. Um, they have, This is their perfect opportunity to change the narrative on their season. Um, because they have been giving up a lot of explosive plays. So if they can um, prevent that, even though they're not a great explosive team, if they can just make it out of a game without giving up an explosive touchdown, then that will feel good, no matter who the opponent is. So if um, they should be particularly motivated this game uh, to make it out unscathed. So I think that they can do it. Uh, We'll we'll just have to see... um, and it also may not be noticeable if they do get beat because if Bowman's missing the throws, we're not going to remember it as well. Yeah, exactly. Now in terms of offensive and defensive MVPs, my MVP pick for offense is Will Howard and defense is Khalid Duke. Yeah, offense I'm going with Will Howard as well. Um, I wanted to say DJ, but with Treshawn back, it's going to be tough to ever pick one of those guys, I think, unless one of them really matches up particularly well. Uh, with a particular team. Um, and then on the uh, uh, defensive side of the ball, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and go with Austin Moore. I am hoping that he'll continue to play at a really high level, given that he's now the de facto leader in that room. And uh, he hopefully can maybe even get to the backfield a couple of times with uh, the um, offensive line for Oklahoma State struggling. Yep. Now it's score projection time. I know that Oklahoma State just put up 27 against Iowa State. I watched that game. 
a lot of those plays were really fluky. I'm, I think the Cats roll. They should absolutely just do donkey roll this team. I have it 45-13 Cats. I have it 45-17 Cats. There's no reason that we shouldn't be able to go down the Stillwater and finally have a truly convincing win. Because the one time we've done it this century, in 2017, we nearly let them come back in the third and fourth quarter despite being up like 45-17. So it's a... Uh, there's a big opportunity available there in Stillwater. It'll be a good environment, and uh, this should be a vulnerable Oklahoma State team. We just need to establish ourselves early. There's no reason that this game should be close on paper. Yeah. Uh, with all that said, yep. there's a big old knock on wood. But, Connor, do you have any, any final thoughts before we wrap up here? Um. Glad the bye week is done, ready to watch the Cats, but I'm going to be kind of happy to have all day Saturday to watch other games. Yeah, I agree. It'll be really fun to have a Friday night game. But that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville Cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Baltazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store. Link in the podcast description and our Twitter bio. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.